0: If this Gospel reading leaves you just a little confused and perplexed, know that you're not alone. What I mean is that this certainly does not sound like the Jesus that we all know and love, does it? This morning, we're going to take a close look at just what this Gospel is saying and what it actually means. So if you're ready, let's dive into it and take a close look at this message by eavesdropping on this rather strange conversation between Jesus, this unnamed woman, and the disciples. But to do so, first of all, we want to take a look at the larger or wider context that this passage falls into. Looking back over the course of the past few weeks, each one of the gospel readings have indicated that Jesus was making every effort to get away to get away from the multitudes that were constantly following him and to find some kind of respite, some kind of peace and tranquility in a place where he would be far away from the constant demands of the ever so needy populace who were always expecting him to do something miraculous for them. Just two weeks ago we heard the account of the feeding of the 5,000 which began with Jesus making an attempt to escape from the crowds. To do so, he and his disciples got into a boat and they crossed the Sea of Galilee. And when they did, the crowds naturally followed them. No, not in a flotilla of boats, but rather on foot. They did an end run, you might say, taking the land route and meeting Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Then immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had His disciples get back into the boat and sent them back over to the other side again while He was dismissing the crowds. And then finally He went up on a mountain by Himself to pray. Well, last Sunday we heard that Jesus walked across the water to, to join His disciples in the boat. And when they arrived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there were the masses again, just waiting for Him, begging Him to heal their sick. And now in today's gospel, we hear that Jesus is still trying to steal away for some much-needed rest, only this time He and His disciples leave Israel and travel to the seaside resort towns of Tyre and Sidon, which is modern-day Lebanon. From what I hear, it's a very nice resort there. But even there, as soon as he arrives, what happens? He encounters a Canaanite woman who's pleading with him to heal her demon-possessed daughter. Well, as an aside, and just to keep all of this within context, you might recall that also from last Sunday's gospel, when Peter got out of the boat while they they're on the Sea of Galilee and walked toward Jesus on the water, he started to notice the strong wind and all the waves around him, and he began to sink. Well, that's when Jesus uttered these very famous words from Scripture that we all know and we've all said at one time or another, O ye of little faith. Now, this week's gospel, an anonymous woman is told, "'O woman, great is your faith.'" What a contrast between Peter and this Canaanite woman. When Peter looked around and he saw the storm that he was in, in a moment of weak faith, he took his eyes off of Jesus, and what happened? He began to sink. But when this woman is caught in a very different kind of a storm, the storm of having a daughter who is demon-possessed, in a moment of great faith, what does she do? She keeps her eyes fixed on Jesus and trusted in Him to save her daughter. You see, all this Canaanite woman cared about was her daughter's well-being. She couldn't have cared less about all the political, religious, cultural, and ethnic differences between the people of her day and time. Her story reveals to us just what persistent faith and prayer and love look like when someone is faced with real personal difficulties and adversities in their life. Her story brings us back to the basics of just what it means to really place all of our trust in Jesus Christ. So just what is it that makes her faith so great? And how can we have the kind of faith that she had? Well, this morning we're going to explore what makes that possible as we listen in on the conversation that occurs between this woman and Jesus and his disciples. We've already heard that Jesus finally got away. He withdrew from where he had been and went into the district of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre was 25 miles north of Galilee, and Sidon was yet another 25 miles north of that. This would have taken he and his disciples several days, if not weeks, to get to where they were going. He was traveling into Canaanite lands. What does that mean? Well, those were the lands where the people who lived there were the ancient tribal enemies of the Israelites. They were pagans. They had many gods or no gods. What's more, the Canaanites were people that the Israelites were to destroy when they entered into the Promised Land under the the leadership of Joshua which, by the way, was the only man in the entire Bible who did not have a father. Did you know that? Joshua, the son of Nun, that is N-U-N, well, just checking to see if you're listening. I don't know where that came from, but I don't think it was the Holy Spirit. And this, by the way, is the only place in the entire New Testament where we find this word Canaanite. Now we're back on track. And as far as we know, this was the only time in Jesus' entire ministry when He ventured out of Israel and into the territory of the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Well, it's here then in this Gentile territory, that we find this Canaanite woman who is in desperate need of help. Matthew writes, she came to Jesus and cried out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a single word. So first of all, this woman's situation reveals to us that great faith often rises up out of great need. If we don't need Jesus greatly, then how can we ever have a great faith in Him? Throughout the New Testament, the people who showed the greatest faith in Jesus were the ones who needed Him the most, the poor, the sick, the crippled, the deaf, the dumb, the blind, the lepers, and those who were possessed by demons. They were the ones who were poor in spirit. Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now great faith requires an acknowledgement that all of us, all of us are poor in spirit. It requires that we recognize our need for Jesus and come to realize that we don't have life all figured out, that we're not going to be able to get it right on our own, that we can't fix ourselves, can't fix our problems, our broken relationships, our families, our communities, our nation, or even our world, all on our own. It's realizing that life is often going to throw unexpected curves our way and pitfalls And when it does, it's then that we begin to recognize and acknowledge our desperate need for Jesus in our life. In this opening portion of the conversation that Jesus has with this woman, don't you find Jesus' silence just a bit odd? I certainly do. It gives us the astute impression that he's not willing to answer her request. But why, because she was a Canaanite and there was such a great rift between the Canaanites and the Israelites, or because she was a woman and he was a man. That would have been a cultural difference in their day. What's clear is that she loved her daughter dearly and she was desperate. Her daughter was being tormented by this demon and she was willing to do absolutely anything she could to help her, even if it meant speaking to a man and a Jewish one at that. In the process, she would humble herself and actually even embarrass herself. She would do whatever it took because her need was that great. She was hurting, she was confused, and she needed help. In her heart, she believed that Jesus was the only one who could provide her with that help. It's clear that she must have had some, some sort of prior knowledge of who Jesus was and his reputation for having compassion on all and his willingness to heal many people. He performed very, very many miracles, and. All of that went before him. So people all over that area would have known about him. Well, when Matthew writes that Jesus did not answer her a word, it appears as though her pleading fell on deaf ears. It's as if Jesus was treating her as though she didn't exist. She must have been asking herself, why won't he respond? Why won't he even give me the time of day? Is it because I'm a Gentile and he's a Jew? Or, here's another thought, perhaps Jesus was silent because he really wanted to test her faith, to see if she actually trusted in him enough to persevere, to persist, which is exactly what she did, following him down the street, crying all the more, begging and pleading for Jesus to help her. The Greek verb translated crying out is in the imperfect tense, meaning that she was doing this continuously, constantly, repeatedly, over and over again. In fact, she became so insistent that Jesus' disciples saw her as an obnoxious nuisance, and they urged Jesus to send her away. Just get rid of her, they said, for she's crying after us. In other words, send her away because she either won't go away or just go ahead and do for her what she wants you to do for her and she will go away. Well, when the woman finally does get Jesus' attention, he gives her an answer that she doesn't want to hear. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she knew exactly what he meant by that. Namely, that she wasn't one of those lost sheep. She was a Canaanite. And she certainly did not belong to the house of Israel. Her sense was that she worshipped the wrong God and that Jesus' mission was not to people like her. Oh, there would come a time when his mission would be for all nations and for all peoples, but not quite yet. You'll recall that right before he ascended into heaven, he gave the great commission to his disciples to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all nations and all people everywhere, but not yet. And that made her resolve even stronger. She was not about to give up because she had too much at stake. And God love her, she chose to brush aside all those objections. And now, now she gets down on her knees, pleading and begging with him, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. She would not allow herself to be rebuffed, put down, cast aside or ignored. The lesson for us in this is that great faith does not falter at the first obstacle. It perseveres. It continues, even when there seems to be little reason to have faith. Well, as we continue to eavesdrop, on this conversation. Now we come to what I think is the most astonishing exchange between Jesus and this woman of all. Here it is. Lord help me she pleads and he answered it is not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said yes Lord yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Explain that one. How harsh, how cruel, how insensitive, you say, of Jesus to talk like this with her. But it's the tone and it's the look with which a statement like that is said that makes all the difference in the world. Even something that sounds that harsh and that cruel can be said with a a disarming smile. And I believe that Jesus had that kind of a smile on his face, that kind of compassion exuding from his eyes that would have robbed those words of all of their insult and all of their sarcasm. And here's why. The fact is, there are two words for dog in the Greek language. Two words for dog. Jesus did not use the Greek word Coyone, you can almost hear the word, the English word coyote in that, in a way, I hear it. Coyone, the word used for common dogs, the wild, scavenging, dirty dogs that lived on the street of Jesus' day. No, instead he used the word cunaria, cunaria, which referred to domesticated dogs, household pets, even little puppy dogs. So, what Jesus is talking about here are the pets that live in one's house and are often known for begging for scraps that fall from the table. And here I speak from personal experience. The two dogs at my house are both beggars, one on either side of me at the dinner table, and I wonder why. Well I think you probably know the answer to that question. (laughs) They're not on either side of Sarah, they're on either side of me. I must confess. I am the one. I'm the one who's guilty. On occasion, I allow a little something to drop off the edge of the table by accident of course, right? (laughs) And I get busted every time. It drives Sarah absolutely crazy. I'm always in the doghouse as a result of that. So what we have is Jesus is employing a very clever, Very clever play on words here. And it was not lost on this woman who immediately picks up on it. And in an encouraging sign, she was actually beginning to get somewhere with Jesus. She's making some headway, she feels. He was trying, he was saying to her that the children must eat first. Referring to, of course, the children of Israel. My ministry is to take care of them first, he was saying. Her retort is, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs, the pet dogs, eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In effect, here's what she's saying. You can call me a little pet puppy dog. That's fine by me but then simply afford me a pet's privilege by allowing me to have just one little scrap that the children let fall from the table. That'll be enough for me. Just give me one little crumb. That's all I'm asking for. In other words, even the smallest crumb, the smallest gesture of compassion and kindness you might show me would be sufficient to heal my daughter. And here's yet another sign to us of what great faith looks like. Great faith does not require our worthiness. Does not require our worthiness. The Canaanite woman certainly did not feel worthy of what Jesus might be able to do for her and neither are we worthy because great faith does not require us to be worthy. Rather, great faith points us to the only one who can actually make us truly worthy in the eyes of God. Great faith takes us to the one who died on the cross and shed his lifeblood so that we might be forgiven of all our sins, and by being forgiven, we are then made worthy to stand before almighty God. Jesus is telling us that it's not about our worthiness. It's about his grace, the gift of God's love, forgiveness, kindness, mercy, pardon in the person at work of Jesus Christ. And we're reminded of that every week, aren't we? Oh, yes, we are. Listen carefully to these words that we say every Sunday. We'll say them this morning. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in what? Our own righteousness. No. But in the manifold and great mercies, we are not worthy. There it is. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always, always, always to have mercy. When this woman declared that all she needed was one little crumb that fell from the master's table, Jesus then said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Nowhere, nowhere but nowhere in all of Jesus' ministry had he found faith like this. When Jesus said to her, great is your faith, it was not because she was worthy. It was because she needed Jesus and she knew it and because she persisted when everything and everyone had told her to let go of it, to give up. This Canaanite woman had great faith, not just because she was desperate for help, but because she came to realize that her help was in the name of the Lord. Her help came through Jesus and Him alone. Great faith means recognizing our great need and then turning to our great Savior in prayer, knowing that our need, knowing what our need is and knowing who alone can fill that need. I love what St. Augustine once said, that each one of us has a God-sized hole within our hearts that only God can fill. This story teaches us that if she had such a persistent faith, faith enough to persevere even in the midst of seeming rejection and ridicule and embarrassment then we too should persist in our prayer requests with the confidence that he will both hear us and answer us in his way and always in his timing not necessarily our timing but he will always answer our prayers It teaches us that if the Canaanite woman found grace, then there's hope for you and me, however hopeless you may feel. And with whatever difficulties, maladies, predicaments, and adversities you may be experiencing right now in your life, or ones you've had in the past, or ones you may be experiencing in the future. Instead of turning away from Jesus, turn toward Him in prayer and give him your whole heart your whole soul your whole strength your whole mind knowing and believing that he can do more for us than we could either ask desire or imagine so now we come full circle and we ask the question that we asked early on what are the makings of a great faith. Why? They're the same things that made for the Canaanite woman's faith, her great faith. They're the attributes that we would all do well to emulate. Here they are. She had a great need. Do you have a great need? She trusted that Jesus could take care of that need. Do you trust that he can take care of your need? She acknowledged her unworthiness in his presence. Do you recognize your unworthiness in his presence? She appealed to him solely on the basis of his compassion, kindness and mercy. You too can appeal to him because of his compassion, kindness and mercy. She was undaunted and persistent in her request. Are you undaunted? and persistent in your request. And she believed that all she needed was one little crumb that fell from the table of God's grace and her daughter would be healed. May God grant that each one of us would have a great faith like that. Amen.